0: Welcome to this bonus episode of Sound Opinions. I'm Jim Diorgatis. My co-host is Greg Cott. And this week, our producer, Andrew Gill, has something for us. We're not sure what. Well,
1: you remember a couple weeks ago, there was a comedian I pitched to you guys. I was like, this guy would be a great interview. Chris Gethard. He's got a a tour special out called Half My Life. He's like playing in punk clubs and stuff. Do you remember that?
0: I remember that he had not dented my radar, and you made me feel ashamed. He said, "But he's from New Jersey." <laughs> from New Jersey, I was so like, "And I? so am I." Well, yeah. you know, to our credit, we did tell Andrew to go ahead and, you know, have him it. and make have the it? case. May well, we want to be convinced I that it's you, uh, worth our time? I took
1: you time. at your word, and I, I just went ahead and interviewed him. So, um, so yeah, I did the whole interview, and I asked him to make the case for himself being unsound opinions as well. So, maybe if you listen to this interview. Maybe then the next time he's got a big project, then you guys will want to interview him yourselves.
0: We are prepared to be blown away. So no pressure. Uh, <laughs> and we're going to find out in a, in a quick minute whether you're right or not.
1: You know, um, I should say there is a little adult language in this uh, interview. Since it's a bonus podcast, it's not on the radio. I figured we could, you know, we could go a little uh, a little bit blue. So there's some bad words. Um, There is a little, you know, mention of adult topics that more sensitive listeners might not want to hear. So this is your chance if you, you know, want to... Well, now I
0: I definitely want to hear it now. (laughs) Uh, And we're going to get to it after a quick break. All right.
1: Welcome to Sound Opinions, Chris Gethard. Thanks for having me. You know, when I first heard about your new special, Half My Life, uh, I got an email from your publicist and I thought... Oh yeah, this is a shoe in. This is a sound opinion segment right away. Like green light, all the way, right? Um, I'm a producer on the show, um, but I must have done a bad job pitching it to our hosts because I told them about it. I tried to explain. No, this guy—he's from Jersey. He's a comedian. He does a podcast. He has a show. He was—you know—did this HBO special. And they just, they didn't know who you were. They yeah. uh, just, they didn't get it re- really right yeah. away. Yeah, so I get this a lot.
2: Yeah, <laughs> I get this a lot.
1: I take the blame for pitching it poorly, but um, I was wondering if you could just start us off with a broad question of uh, explaining um, what your new comedy special has to do with music.
2: Well, I think I'm a comedian who is sort of known in the in the punk world, and the DIY world, Um, I've been really embraced by that circuit and I think a lot of it is because I grew up a part of that world in North Jersey. There was a really pretty active punk scene when I was a kid and I think New Jersey always has kind of historically had a pretty active scene and a very like mobilized young person scene. So I was putting out a fanzine in high school and one of my best friends put out this local comp that all the local bands were on and just was at shows every weekend. So there's been some very pivotal times in my life where when opportunities have kind of slammed, you know, doors have slammed in my face or I've, I've missed on things that are traditional where my instinct has always been, well, then I'll just go do it myself. Like, and a lot of that is because of coming up in that music scene and just kind of seeing their blueprint. And I did a public access TV show for a number of years that kind of built into this, like transformed a thing for my career, but it was all born out of no one's going to let me do it my way unless I just go do it myself. And that show in particular too I, I had a lot of bands on, um, from the DIY scene. So I think at that point, a lot of music fans and comedy fans started coming together on my stuff and realizing like, Oh, this guy really does have his foot in both these worlds. And I can't claim to be like the biggest music aficionado or, you know, claim that at the age of 41 that I'm still at it shows all the time. But I think people see that I have very much taken the infrastructure of what music taught me and done it, uh, throughout my career. And I think this special really shows that off. It's it's mostly music venues, independent venues, DIY venues. I've been doing this for 20 years of my life. That's like why we brought cameras on this tour because it's half my life. I turned 40 in May. So what we're doing is I'm, we're filming our special at many different venues. I'm so, so psyched to be back here at Out Bar. Hello Union Hall. And it's really good to be home. All venues that I love, small intimate venues comedians are like selling out Madison Square Garden and football stadiums sometimes I don't ever want to do a show in a football stadium it's a fair
1: he can't. I can't I
2: can't <laughs> can't sell enough tickets I want to be this close and I want the ceiling to be this low and that's how I came up a lot of stand-up in there and then a lot of interstitial footage which I think music fans might with it if, if you're a, a nerd about the same documentary I am when I got into punk when I was 14, a friend of mine goes, "Go to Let It Rock in Montclair. There's this record store we all liked." He goes, "Um, there's this documentary it's called Another State of Mind. Go buy Another State of Mind. It'll tell you what this whole thing is all about, this music that we like." And it's a it's a documentary that follows Social Distortion and Youth Brigade and eventually involves Minor Threat and it, anybody who knows that documentary, if you watch my special, I think you will now chuckle cuz when I called my director, I called her. She She's from the New Brunswick, New Jersey punk scene as well. I was like, Kate, I want to make a uh, comedy special that kind of feels more like an old skate video. And she was like, yeah. And I was like, go watch another State of Mind. Let's just rip that off. So that's the long, rambly answer to your rather simple question.
1: <laughs> yeah, you definitely achieved that with the special, I think. Um, it's got that feel. Um, and you got to do a soundtrack, right, for the
2: special? That was That was one of the huge benefits was like, I just would always think about those old videos we used to watch as kids where it'd be like and now like these skater kids they're all like messing around and talking to camera doing bits and now here's like the stylized footage of them set to some music and everybody looks tough and i was like oh if we do this thing where it's like got some documentary aspects i'll get to put a a, a soundtrack together and i'm very proud of the soundtrack and some people did me some huge favors uh, most notably, Jawbreaker. The ending credits scene is a Jawbreaker song, which is just sort of like if <laughs> you, Teenage Me is losing his mind right now. Today, no more, no a lot of my career is just an effort to impress Teenage Me back in the day. <laughs> and Jawbreaker having a, sound, a song on the soundtrack that's actually uh, one of the first two songs I ever heard by Jawbreaker and that that's the that's the big crown jewel but the whole soundtrack i think is is pretty great when you
1: approached jawbreaker about that did you tell them it would be played over you doing stand up for alligators i did i did <laughs> i
2: um i'm a very very big fan of a band called j church which was another bay area punk band who in the 90s that they, they just put out tons and tons of stuff and then lance Hahn uh passed away he was the driving force behind it and Adam Fowler played drums on a lot of his releases and Jay Church I think has kind of been like quickly forgotten compared to you know when you consider their output. So I once wrote an article about Jay Church that went online and Adam reached out to me. So I ha- I have a, a a friendship with him and uh I reached out to him. I was like I know this is a big ask and you guys could probably go license your songs to like Microsoft if you want but <laughs> any chance I could throw you like A pittance. I think it was like not even two hundred dollars. I think I was like, I'm (laughs) self funding the whole thing. Anyway, I could use Equalized. He's like, What are you using it for? I was like, It'll play mostly over footage of me uh, doing stand up in front of thirty alligators. He was like, Yeah, I think we can make this work.
1: You know, I was thinking about, you know, people love to do this to compare comedians and musicians, right? Uh, The cliche I've heard a lot is like, comedians wish they were musicians, musicians wish they were comedians. What do you think about the the connection between musicians and comedians? I think it's
2: really strong. I think that that cliche tends to be true. I look back, I realize when I was, there was a band called Weston that was uh, pretty big in the Northeast. And I think eventually kind of had a national reputation but very very big in the northeast when i was starting out and i really loved them and i look back i realized, oh because they had the best between song banter was probably more important to me than the songs looking back i think i think funny musicians are a trope i think musicians i know a lot of comedians who used to play in bands and um it's strong there i remember when i did my public access show i had started my beautiful anonymous podcast and i remember laura stevenson i think it was played the show and was like, oh, we've all been listening to your your podcast in the van and it's awesome. And I was like, oh, thanks. I was like, I'm really flattered. Like, you guys are so cool. I'm surprised you're listening to my dorky podcast. And she's like, you know musicians obsess over comedy, right? And I was like, no. And she's like, <laughs> Yeah, she's like, hey, dude, when you're on the road, are you listening to stand-up? I was like, no, I'm listening to music. She's like, yeah, the last thing we need is more music all the time. Like, we need a break from it, so we love comedy. So I think there's a real kinship. And then also, you know, you share the aspects of the road life and the, you know, way that can be kind of isolating or frustrating or at the very least, like, makes you live, like, a not-traditional nine-to-five thing. So I think culturally there's also some 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 uh, empathy between the two groups
1: yeah for sure um i was thinking about how it kind of comes out in different ways for different comedians too like you know mark maron is always playing guitar you know on his podcast mm-hmm. and i was thinking about how it comes out in your career and if you like if you watch the chris gethard show it's you know, this controlled chaos. Well, why don't you, can you describe it just uh, quickly for listeners who haven't seen it? Yeah. Like, how do you describe the Chris Gethard show? It, it,
2: it's, uh, it's hard to explain, and it's been, it, it stopped, and it ran from 20, it started 2009 at the UCB Theater. It was canceled in 2018. It had been 200 episodes on public access, and then 47 spread between two actual cable networks. So it went on this sort of, like, insane... Uh, journey that none of us saw coming and it was cool to take it to the point where it was a TV show, but it was just insane. I was shocked that Cable put up with it for that long because it would kind of be each episode we'd pick a different experiment and just try to execute it. So sometimes it would be really dark like we had a public access episode where I brought in a kickboxer who like physically beat the hell out of me on live public access TV and then you know, on Cable we had a an episode with Maria Bamford because she and I have both been open about like suicidal thoughts and depression that was just asking the audience hey call in let us know if you're okay you know like things like that so we really reserved the right to not codify it in any way or not have it fit into a into like a specific genre and uh I think for the people who loved it and understood that they they felt very very connected to it and then obviously for most of America they go we want we want something that we can understand and that's palatable. So, It was mostly just kind of like fucked up TV experiments each week, like a different fucked up TV experiment each week is what I guess you could say.
1: I was thinking about how comedians often, with with crowd interaction, it's usually like a negative thing, um, sort of. Even if some comedians are really good at using hecklers to create comedy, right? Doing crowd work and stuff. But I, I was thinking about your show was kind of like the equivalent of like harnessing the power of the the audience like a mosh pit might or something? It's mm-hmm. like like mm-hmm. the TV equivalent of a mosh pit maybe? Does that make sense? Yeah,
2: I think so. And or... <laughs> I mean, sometimes where there are actual mosh pits like we had fucked up on and it was an actual... The studio I actually thought was going to like ban us for life after that show. But certainly <laughs> I think, um, you know, we had our studio audience would just sit on the floor in front of us. It wasn't rafters. It wasn't seats. We never had a sign that came on and said applause. We never had somebody run out in commercial breaks and try to like, be like, okay, everybody, now this is going to happen. And you're going to go, Ooh, it was just like, let's get out there. If it makes you feel something, express it. If you want to, you know, like you want to yell something out, yell it out. And, um, there's one episode that, it actually probably ties into this most of all, which is I put out an album and it, the album had a joke, and pardon me, but it's out of con- I mean, it's not a great joke in context, but it was a joke about eating butt. Um, and the audience, that, the album had just come out, and the, we go live on public access and the audience just started chanting, eat more butts at the top of the show. And then they wouldn't let me start the show. And this went on for minutes and minutes and minutes. And they just all started getting up and jumping on camera. And I was like, please, like, I have to do a show. And they wouldn't stop just chanting the phrase, eat more butts. And uh, Jeff Rosenstock was the musical guest that night. And he eventually, he just like looked at me and kind of was like, what's like from off screen was like making a motion like what's going on? I was like. I don't know. And I just saw him motion to his band and they all got up and picked up their instruments. And I was like, oh, this is about to get even more nuts. So this crowd that had revolted and actually hijacked the show from me, then Jeff just started playing and soundtracking that. And I just kind of sat back and watched my own show fall apart. And that was very much like you said, like this, this mosh pit energy and this like, like really good confluence of like the comedy got taken away from me that night but the crowd did something even better with it and then the musicians who were there threw fuel on the fire and that's an episode where you go oh like none of that makes any sense to most people but people who understand (laughs) this venn diagram of comedy and music and you know how they both you know they're both performing arts and 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 in many ways kind of experimental and connected that's an episode where you'll watch it and you'll go okay this guy built an environment where the comedy kids a lot of whom didn't even know that i was treating them like a music crowd it's like okay that's that's what comedy would have looked like in a new jersey vfw hall in the late 90s because that's where i was watching shows (laughs) like that's how nuts it would have been
1: but probably worked better than it would have in reality in one of those clubs right like if you were a stand-up and I'd like to think so like,
2: I'd like to think yeah. I'd like to think that the uh, level the amount of time I'd put in by that point was yeah. some effect
1: <laughs> but even going like even you know the most seasoned comedians opening for a band I've heard is always like the hardest
2: Oh, uh, my worst gigs've I've, I've said it many times on record. It's really bad. It's really... Although, when it goes well, you feel... You know, that's... One of the things about stand-up is, you know, like the Gethard show is a very collective group-driven thing, but then when I do my solo work, it's like, no matter how many years I've been doing it, you will have nights that go really poorly, but then the nights that go well make you feel so good. So when you can do good on a music bill, which I've managed to do a bunch of times, I really was like... because. These bands that were coming on my TV show, they'd be like, come open for us. We're playing Brooklyn. We're playing Jersey. And sometimes I'd eat it. I'd go, man, music audiences do not want one mild-mannered guy with glasses talking. That's not what you (laughs) sign up for when you go to a show. You want it loud. And uh, yeah, yeah, some of my hardest nights have been opening. I I got booed off stage four times in the same night at the Music Hall of Williamsburg hosting a show, The Bouncing Souls Headline. And then the other one I always think of was... um, It was actually, you're wearing an an FMU shirt. It was, FMU had a fundraiser for Hurricane Sandy at the Bell House in Brooklyn, which if you, all of it, a fundraiser for hurricane recovery. This sounds like nice people. WFMU, I grew up in West Orange, New Jersey, man, right there. WFMU people are like, sort of like the stereotype, right? Like record-picking, socially uncomfortable nerds who don't know how to have conversations. Like, that's the cliche. (laughs) They were monsters, man. I went up in between two bands, and there was one guy who stood at the edge of the stage, and part of my French, he just kept yelling. Every time I was leading up to a punchline, he'd just drunkenly yell, play fucking music! Play some fucking music! I was like, dude, like, you're a WFMU fan. Like, you've never, you're not supposed to be aggressive people. You're supposed to be people who have like never had the sun touch your skin because you're always in the back of some weird record store. Like this is not <laughs> what I thought it would be. And I'm one of you. So it can be very, very hard doing comedy on music bills. But when it goes well, it's one of the more exhilarating feelings. But even the last time I did it, I bombed the uh, The Ergs who reunite every now and then, who's a great, great Jersey pop punk band. Um, they reunited and asked me to do a set and – I hadn't performed in a while. My kid was born. I was trying to do a bunch of material about having a kid, and it turns out you get a bunch of pop punk fans out for the night who are excited to see a band reunite. Um, turns out that, like, drunk punks in the mood for music don't want to hear you talk about what it's like raising an eight-month-old boy. <laughs> Had to learn that lesson the hard way.
1: Do you think there's a connection between uh, dad jokes and dad rock? You know. Wow. Um, like maybe do that in front of a Wilco set or something? I haven't even thought about that. I have not thought about that. Maybe that's it.
2: Maybe I'm growing up and I need to, maybe it shouldn't to... shouldn't be the scrappy Jersey punks I'm opening up for anymore. Maybe it needs to be, yeah. Maybe I need to firmly only do indie rock shows now.
1: Or I go to go to the uh, the Wilco Mexico thing in January. Yeah, you know, they do that uh, weekend in Mexico. There you go. Yeah, get on the bill, comedy. Turns. I need to
2: interview yeah. a band. Like, if if two thirds of your band's members don't also have children, then this will not work. Will not work. Right. Your drummer is still allowed to be a young bachelor, but that's only because you keep firing your drummers. I get it.
1: Okay. <laughs> or they spontaneously combust, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Drummers, you know um so what this here's a game and uh if you're not if you're not up for it it's fine but can I was thinking it would be interesting to try to think of a band that fits the different projects that you've done so like the Chris Gethard show can you think of a like what would that be if it was a band like a is there a like fucked up the band maybe or I was
2: trying to think I like, mean fucked up was an amazing amazing cultural fit for that show uh, seeing Damien grab a traffic cone and run up <laughs> the staircase at the back of our studio and having our fans seeing our fans all ripping their shirts off and chasing him around the studio while he's saying that's And yet he's
1: a dad and a baker. Yeah. Right? So he's got a soft side
2: a, and a great yeah. You know, he kind of yeah. he kind of like knows how to be one thing But then you see there's more sides to him. I think actually it's a really great fit. A really great fit. And then it's also like they kind of got labeled as a hardcore band, but then there's a lot more depth to it than that. But then he still sounds like a hardcore singer a little hard to figure out i think that's probably a very apt i think that's probably a very even apt. just the
1: name puts off mainstream audiences yeah <laughs> there you go there you go semi uh, done yes
2: of, of, if you you know my last name says get hard so vulgar names vulgar <laughs> names yeah i think that's a good fit
1: what about like um your podcast beautiful anonymous um is is there so that's a a show where you put out your phone number on twitter mm-hmm. and uh, people call in, and I assume you don't air the bad calls, right? There must be calls that don't. You'd be
2: shocked. like We podcasts. air, I would say, over 90% of the things we record, we air. Oh, wow.
1: So the commitment you have is that you'll stay on the phone for one hour with whoever calls yeah. in.
2: and it often right. gets sort of super dark in an unexpected way. Um,
1: so that would be, have to be a different band. have right? to be so a different band, because it's
2: also yeah. like a lot more... That was a project that kind of took me by surprise because thought it was going to be kind of similar, like people calling and pranking and goofing around, and then I realized, oh, this is attracting like a much short, more sort of like older, stable, grown up crowd. What's a who's a good like band that will go very? Um, it's I feel like it's probably almost like. Elliot Smith, that might be an Ooh, Elliot yeah. Smith of like it's
1: yeah i thought that or like the mountain goats maybe. it
2: could have a mountain goat mountain goats a lot of the gethard show fans were actually really into the mountain goats too that was one of our number one hey you guys have got to try to get the mountain goats on your show bands and we tried we definitely tried no, but um <laughs> it didn't work out yeah,
1: they can be a they can be tough to book i um i booked them for sound opinion so yeah
2: mountain goats mountain goats could be a good fit yeah but beautiful anonymous it would be something more yeah Quiet and contemplative, that'll go dark. Elliot Smith's a good fit, but there are some really fun episodes too, and I don't know if he goes in that direction as much. Oh, Beautiful Anonymous is probably the Magnetic Fields.
1: Oh, nice. Because
2: they'll get goofy, but then also super sad. I mean, it's not all love songs and stuff, but not all their albums are love songs. They did stuff beyond the 69 love songs, but yeah. Yeah, The show will have like an occasional super goofy thing, like, you know, like punk rock love or. Let's pretend we're bunny rabbits.
0: Let's pretend we're bunny rabbits. Let's do it all day
2: long. Us and then we will also rip your heart out of your chest with the book of love, you know? <laughs>
1: Um, your HBO special Career Suicide is there a a musical uh, sort of analog that you could think of let's see
2: yeah that was like me telling really trying to tell some really honest stuff about depression and suicide and also getting some jokes in there so I mean we have to think of like a very straight ahead emo
1: right like the weaker thans oh
2: uh, that's a very good call the weaker yeah, thans are like yeah. the front bottoms the, i don't know if the front bottoms oh, yeah. they're friends of mine i don't know that they'd call themselves emo but definitely that's sort of like just wear it on your sleeve and dance about mm-hmm. it i could see that weaker thans
1: or like phoebe bridgers or something uh-huh, <laughs> she's uh-huh. so funny but uh uh-huh. Yeah.
2: i mean now you've got one great city in my head though which is the uh, i hate <laughs> winnipeg song where i will tell you <laughs> That song is actually at a point in my life where a couple months ago I was listening to it and my wife entered the room. And my wife, who, by the way, is a musician and uh, far cooler than me, uh, so this was not born out of any naivete, she just walked into the room, she goes... You doing okay? And I was like, Yeah, why? And she goes, You got the Winnipeg song on. That usually means you're not doing okay. So maybe we may, that might actually be the best pick. He's talking to himself, and here's the price of gas. Repeat his phrase: I hate Winnipeg.
1: Yeah, that's what my wife says when I listen to the Mountain Goats too much. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. And I mean, I mean, look, the uh, the other answer is that. I quote the Smiths. I think I sing portions of Three Smiths songs in a Career Suicide and clearly it is a Smiths The Smiths is the right answer, but in every way. I reference it in the song. And I think also if you if you think about funny moments mixed in with a lot of heartbreaking moments and something that people probably see as maudlin from the surface, but when you get into it, it's actually maybe kind of hopeful and a little bit like about fighting back. Mm-hmm. That's just the Smiths, but also it's 2021. So who wants to bring up Morrissey these days
1: <laughs> you know I was gonna ask uh, yeah because it's been a few years since Oof. that special Oof. and you know I had to go through that in my own household yeah uh, my wife was as you describe yourself in the special you know listen to pretty much only the Smiths mm-hmm. um, for your entire early 20s uh-huh. you know we went to see Morrissey you know seen him we nine times fans, ten you know? times oh my god Wow. I mean, he's probably canceled nine, his past nine shows in Chicago.
2: Oh, believe me, I've <laughs> seen him. I think I've seen him nine times and I've had tickets for about 15 shows. Like, so. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> so what are you doing about that, if anything?
2: Well, He's making it really hard, right? You know, for years as a fan, there's always been these knocks on him, especially by the, the English press. And you go, oh, he's misunderstood or they're giving him a hard time and Now I think it's becoming clear that maybe there was some willing ignorance on the part of us American fans, because it's coming out more and more, and like, even, I've like talked with friends of mine who are English, who are Smiths fans, where I'm like, yeah, you know, like, I know that he was like waving the Union Jack around, and it's on me, because I never, I understood that pissed people off, I never really looked into what that meant, and that's on me, and now we're all kind of being forced to, and going, oh, that's a pattern, and you know bengalian platforms which everybody was like that song's racist he's like no it's not and it's like maybe i shouldn't have taken that at face value that you know like let alone i think the one that really turned for me was something along the lines of when all the kevin spacey news was coming out and he said something along the lines of like well where were these kids parents and why was why were they alone in a room with this man where it's, mm. where you go that's a point and I'm sure that's a thing right. that people have wondered about, but that's not the point to make right now, man. Like no, if you're, you're going to make not. one point about this situation, it shouldn't be a letting Kevin Spacey off the hook to, to blame the victims and their parents. Like, so that was the real turning point for me. There's been the all right. stuff. you can see, like it's hard for me to even be funny about the answer. I'm, I, <laughs> I, I, I'm I've been brainstorming what I should cover up to his signature with. I have, I have his lyric on my bicep, and I I think I'm going to leave that because I think the sentiment of the lyric is really beautiful. Is it a Smiths lyric? It is a Smiths lyric. So I'm walking that same fine line all of us fans are of like, I will listen to the Smiths, but it's tough Morrissey now. I I doubt that I'll ever be able to give him money again. Um, I will still, you know, the Smiths songs, I listen to them, I love them. And I can't lie, a lot of those Morrissey solo songs, especially Vauxhall and I, like really just fantastic fantastic stuff that means a lot to me but it's going to be one of those things where it's like I listen to his songs and as one of his like you know someone who's a very public uh embracer and champion of his it's going to be something people will give me shit about forever and that's fine and then also I feel like someday he'll pass away and it'll just be a very I feel like the world is not going to know what to say about right like what a complicated obituary that man's going to have like yeah what do you say what do you do like he's but to be fair he never he never said i'm gonna make this simple or easy for anybody to understand me you know and then the only thing i still defend morrissey on which is a moot point because the other stuff outweighs it so much is i never understood why people give him such a hard time for all the stuff where he doesn't want meat cooked at his shows or he won't do a talk Mm -hmm. show unless they go vegetarian for the day because i go That's been his, like, number one issue since 1982, 83, 84, like, and he's always stood by that. I actually feel like that's one where I go, everybody, like, makes fun of him, mocks him because he doesn't want to smell burning meat when he's cooked. It's like, oh, no, like, if he's going to be the headliner at your festival he put out an album called meet is murder decades ago. Like (laughs) something he's sticking to his guns on a thing that's important to him. All the, all the
1: beware when you book him. (laughs) There you go.
2: (laughs) But all the rest of it, man, I just go, it's heartbreaking. It's really sad. You
1: know, that, that thing about the meat uh, reminds me, we did an interview uh, a couple weeks ago with, um, Faye Milton, who started this organization called music declares emergency. Uh She's, uh, she was the drummer in the band savages, um, this British band and um it's a you know climate action um movement you know that's got it's getting really big in the uk um they've got you know billy eilish is part of it now uh you know brian eno and all the joy division uh living members and stuff like that but um one of the things that they're trying to do is get musicians they've got like three thousand musicians have signed on to this pledge to have green writers you know like so if that's the way they're organizing to try to solve climate change is to say, I won't play a gig at this festival unless you get rid of plastic cups, you know, yeah, or like, yeah. you know, don't use straws or, you that's know, so cool. uh, buy a carbon offset. And
2: that's what Morrissey was doing too. In a yeah. Way, you know? And he it's took like, it on the chin for that, but the right. rest of it, was, especially cause I got to yeah. say like, it, it, it's so baffling. It's just so baffling. And it's so hard for so many fans to walk away. I think because it's like, he was the one who if you were somebody who got picked on if you were somebody who wasn't certain about your sexuality if you were somebody who felt like you got like pushed into a corner and told to be seen not heard this was this was not just your musician this was your lifeline to a lot of us and i count myself among those people so it it, it is a really confusing turn it is it feels like a real betrayal of that core ethic of like how can how can you both have a fervent mexican fan base that you seem to be in love with for being in love with you in a pure way and then also say so much like england is for the english stuff you like how do those i don't understand how those puzzle pieces fit together in your mind and it breaks my heart you know it breaks my heart
1: i saw a, a a t-shirt that sums it up really well i think it said love the smiths hate morrissey i think that's been <laughs>
2: even before he started saying all this crazy stuff people have said that but yeah. and it's easy to say and i think there's pro- nothing nothing the, not the i was just gonna though. say there's truth to it but then you know i challenge anybody to go listen to a why Don't You Find Out For Yourself and Tell Me It's a Bad Song. Like, it's a good song. Yeah. Oh,
1: yeah. Why don't you find out for yourself Then you'll see the glass Hidden in the grass. Well, Chris Guthard, it's been great to have you on Sound Opinions. Um, I will play this for Jim and Greg, our hosts, and hopefully next time they might also want to interview
2: you sounds good i'll just say first of all thank you for having me i know i ramble a lot i hope any of it was interesting and jim and greg i'm not mad that you haven't heard of me but maybe just think of this as your opportunity to you know break like an indie band who hasn't gone to the major labels yet maybe it can be the same thing where you you champion me in that way
0: Andrew, Chris was a lot of fun to listen to. I, you know, obviously he views everything in the comedy world through the lens of music. So it makes sense as a guest. But I always, you know, you, you, you love the comedians, man. You, that, that's your thing that you love to uh, talk to. And, and I think we got to give Alex some next time, our other producer, Alex Gaymore. Alex, uh, we have to figure out a way to get uh, gymnasts into, uh, I know you're in Olympic glory with the gymnast Get thing. Some own uh, We'll get some gymnasts. Uh, how, I always wonder how they choose that music, you know? Well, that's it for this bonus episode. Stay tuned for the next one, because who knows who we're going to be talking Anything to. Anything can happen, especially now that we don't have to do the work. And especially uh, now that we're uh, off the rails here to support Sound Opinions, what a better time to ask for your contributions than right now. You can become a member on Patreon or connect with other listeners in our Facebook group. As always, Sound Opinions is produced by Andrew Gill, Alex Glaiborne, and our intern, Sol Delgadillo. Our social media consultant is Katie Cott.